This is the Stop Time Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Hopkins, and I'm here to engage you in thought-provoking motivational conversations around practicing the art of living in the moment. I'm a certified life coach, and I'm excited to dig deep and offer insights into embracing who we are and where we are at. So my next guest was gracious enough to take a moment to chat with me um, just two days before making his Broadway debut as a playwright with his new family comedy, Chicken and Biscuits, which has its first preview at Circle in the Square this week. But Douglas Lyons is no stranger to the Broadway stage. And in addition to his talents as a playwright, he is an accomplished actor, writer, director, composer, and teacher. His Broadway acting credits include uh, the original cast of Beautiful and the Book of Mormon, National Tours of Rent and Dreamgirls. His writing credits include Fraggle Rock on Apple TV, Polka Dots Off-Broadway, and Five Points, which is now in development with Hamilton's Andy Blankenbuehler. As a composer lyricist, he is half of the writing team of Lions and Pakchar. Their work has been featured, among other places, on CBS's Sunday Morning Show, Carnegie Hall's Voices of Hope Festival, Lincoln Center's Broadway Songbook Book Series, and so much more. So this will all be in the show notes and places where you can find Douglas and more information. Douglas is the founder of the Next Wave Initiative, a scholarship program dedicated to supporting the future of Black theater artists. Welcome, Douglas. Thank you for having me. What an intro. <laughs> well, you know, I really, really appreciate you taking taking the time to join me today. I know this is a busy week for you, to say the least. But, you know, we make it work. We make time for the people and things we care for. So we are here. Absolutely. I'm guessing that you're you're somewhere between dress rehearsals now? We are in tech rehearsals right now. And for okay. the people that don't know what tech is, it's the technical rehearsal where you put all the elements of the theater together, the lighting, the sound, the wigs, the costumes, and you go cue by cue to make sure we get through the play, to make sure everyone's safe and everyone can hear what they need to hear and the lighting you know, is correct in this specific spot, all that jazz. So we've actually completed teching the entire play last night and they're doing run-throughs now they're doing one right now. I'm home, um, but I'm letting them have one, and then I'll go tonight to see the night run. We'll do a similar thing tomorrow, and we have an invited dress tomorrow night. Wonderful. You sound real calm. Yeah, I, I've i worked too hard to be nervous, and there's a lot of people, I think, leaning and depending and trusting on me in this moment. So if I'm nervous and chaotic, that is an energy that will then ripple out in the company, so that can't be. Um, and we've dug into the play, you know, I've, I've done seven drafts of chicken and biscuits before we started rehearsals for Broadway. And then I rewrote at least 15 pages, um, during the Broadway rehearsal period. And I just sent in a new line a couple days ago. So the work never ends. And I really believe in what we're doing and the joy that we're bringing. So I can't be nervous because if I'm nervous, that's going to bleed into the work. Yeah, 100%. And at the same time, you know, I'm not hearing that you're wasting energy trying not to be nervous either, but you're rather you're rather leaning into and just embracing what is. Yeah, the, it's it's reason to be excited. It's prayers and dreams and hopes coming true. And so I'm trying to let it wash over me more than be anxious about it because my anxiety will not help or heal anything. Um, so, yeah, I, I've a couple of weeks ago, I was a ball of stress a little bit. 
But now, because also we're still in a pandemic, right? So <laughs> there's that part where that, yes. <laughs> it wasn't just the work itself. It was like, God, I hope that no one gets sick. I hope that everyone's safe. You know, there have been positive cases with this breakthrough that pop up in places. And I just wanted to get through this period and make it to stage without anyone going down. So um, I've learned with my therapist to just not worry about things we can't control and focus on the work that we can. And I think it's giving me a nice equilibrium for this moment. Yeah, no, 100%. That makes that makes for really good sense. So uh, on your Instagram, uh, you describe yourself as a multi-hyphenate, right? And, oh, and a dreamer, a multi-hyphenate and a dreamer. It strikes me that not only are you obviously a multi-hyphenate with all the stuff that you have done and are doing, but it also strikes me that your dreams themselves are multi-hyphenate. Does that land with you? Yeah, I think my father has always said to me, Doug, you're going to make it to Broadway, and then that's going to be just one step, you know, one notch in the belt for the next thing. And I was like, okay, black man, all right, like, let's just get to Broadway first. But then he was right. You know, mm -hmm. I got here and I started taking in the business side and seeing who was in the building eight shows a week, you know, doing the labor on their bodies and who wasn't and who was getting the larger checks. Um, and I started writing music out of heartbreak. And then that led to playwriting five years later. And it just felt like there was no reason not to try it. The worst that could happen is that I could suck at it. And then I just wouldn't share it. Um, and I had some confirmation during the pandemic with getting Fraggle Rock. And in that meeting, that initial meeting, the showrunners were like, yeah, man, we read your scripts. They're really good. And it was the first time I heard from someone not in the theater who did not know me at all that my work had value, had mm. purpose. And that really landed on me in a way that I was like, oh, you have to dream bigger. So I feel like every year my dreams just get bigger because though my prayers are not answered exactly in the way that I prayed them, something usually happens that leads me down a new path. And so I just feel like as an artist, I call myself a vessel. And if these things keep coming to me, you know, Broadway was not something that I saw happening. Chicken and Biscuits was the last thing to be written of all of my projects. And it's the first thing to go to Broadway. So I'm like, okay, I cannot predict the future at all. So I just have to keep readjusting my dreams with what's in front of me. Yeah, no, absolutely. What challenges have you had to overcome with that, with sort of change? It sounds like you were able to um, take on that new mindset and, and sort of your learning and working in that. What were, so, what were some of the biggest challenges of that for you, things that you had to let go or things that you had to open up? I think previous to the pandemic, I felt like an imposter a little bit as a writer because the writing community, okay, like writing plays off Broadway is its own community. You know, being a Broadway playwright is a slightly different community. Being a Broadway composer, because I always, I also write musicals as well, is a different community. Being an actor on Broadway is a different community. And I felt like I was phasing out of the actor community because I was really becoming fascinated with and obsessed with this writing thing. But getting people to take me seriously as a writer has been a seven-year process, mm. you know, where people, I'm like, hey, nice to meet you. I, I have this script and I really think you should read it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh-huh. Great. Email me. Have you read it? Oh, I'm just, I'm really busy. Two years later, have you read it? You know, like that was the hard thing and learning to be my own champion and getting used to rejection as just a means of the business was an adjustment. But once I figured that out, I was like, you're going to find your person. 
and I did during COVID. Um, at the end of 2019, I was followed on Instagram by this Broadway producer, Hunter Arnold. And I looked up his profile and it said that he was the lead producer of Hades Town. I was like, oh, this is interesting. Hey, man, I don't know if I've ever met you, but I've written some projects. I think, you know, you should check them out. Do you do you actually go through new musicals? Like, are you open to submissions? And he said, yes. And from that fall on, I emailed him or sent him an Instagram message every five weeks checking in. Mm. Oh, I'm busy. I'm sorry. Oh, I can't. Right. And then during the pandemic, when he had time, he finally read one of the pieces. And he was like, wow, I got like a five paragraph message being like, I, I think you have something here and I think we should talk. Mm-hmm. And so over the next year during COVID, we Zoomed and he read things and we courted and we tried to figure out things. And then this opportunity came about because of his relationship with the theater. And here we are. Yeah. That's a great story. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. I caught that you used the word obsessed um, with writing. And it's funny because somewhere in my research, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I read something about you being obsessed with acting or with theater um, when you first were uh, a youngster, basically getting into it. Yeah. Tell me about that. So the national tours of Cats and Rent, the same Rent tour that I would join three years later, mm. um, came through New Haven, Connecticut, my hometown, Schubert Theater. And I had sang and danced all my life, never really had acting or official voice lessons, but I was an artistic kid and I was playing sports like basketball, but I would sing the national anthem at the basketball game and then go sit on the bench. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I was that kid. Um, But when I got sort of that bug and I was told it's called musical theater, I was like, oh, there's an art form. This is a profession. (laughs) Like. If you put these things together, you can study to do this professionally, really? Mm. And at the top of my senior year, um, I was a part of this jazz band and there was this poster for the Hart School and it said music, theater, dance. And it was one of the four programs I applied to. And I got in. Hart was the only place to accept me, but I got a, a little scholarship. And I entered as a freshman completely sort of blind and not knowing to the industry itself. We had to wear blacks at heart for our acting projects and, and classes to be neutral. And did I read the syllabus? Maybe not. I had blacks with me, but the first day of class, I had a first day outfit, you know, as you did in high school. And I quickly had to go back to my dorm and change it. I love that. That's how ignorant I was to, you know, the theater. And, and so I got a real crash course But I was obsessed and curious with this thing that Mm -hmm. I had some of the ingredients to do. I could sing. I could dance. I hadn't had any ballet classes, so I didn't know all the terminology, but I could hold my body, you Mm -hmm. know, and I had the facility for the voice, but I hadn't had a voice lesson yet, Mm -hmm. right? I didn't know solfege and I didn't know ear training and theory yet, but I could sing once I learned the song, right? So it it took a, a while to learn the technical parts of being an actor, but once I did, I was in. And I think initially I fell in love with storytelling in general. And when I realized I could write the stories mm. and still be in the theater, that was the epiphany. Yeah, very cool. Great distinction too, right? Between that sort of, because um, obsession tends to have a, or can have a, a really negative connotation sometimes, can it? Oh, you're obsessed. You know, you do it too much, blah, blah. Whereas I'm hearing you say you you actually, it was an awareness and a curiosity with, wait, 
I relate to that. I'm not sure exactly how or how that's going to work, but I feel it's almost like a visceral thing with you. Yeah, it's they're doing a thing up there that I like. So the only show I did in high school, end of my senior year, was West Side Story. I played Tony. I riffed so inappropriately. You would laugh. <laughs> but I still remember the riffs and they're great. This was like maybe a 300 seat auditorium. I put on so much stage makeup, you would think I was playing the Met, okay? Because I had seen these shows come through and that's something they did. They put on stage makeup, right? And I was like, oh, I'm an actor. I need to, right? I knew nothing about shading and highlight or anything. I just went to CVS, got some brown makeup and some eyeliner and put it on because it felt theatrical, you know? So yeah, I really didn't know, but I knew I was pulled into this world somehow. And it's just kept surprising me. Mm. You know, I didn't, I don't play instruments, but I can write music. Mm. I was not a lyricist. I don't have an MFA in writing, but I study. I, I really call myself a studier of the art form. And if I don't know it, I will quickly figure it out. Yep. And when I asked you um, on the guest form, what most people often get wrong about you, you said they mistake my kindness for weakness. I thought that was really interesting. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? I'm, I'm a sweet and loving guy, but I'm also a passionate visionary. And some, and you know what, this is an interesting story. So one day my agent had to sent me down and say, Douglas, I love your passion, but I want you to be able to dial it and take in the room's temperature so that people don't use your passion against you as someone that's difficult to work with. Mm-hmm. And I had to learn how to navigate spaces where I'm aware of what I want, but how do I have to walk through this space to get to what I want, right? Um, And yeah, I think sometimes people take my personality and my energy and my exuberance as like, okay, but he ain't really about it. But when things hit the fan, I can can show up with my words. I I can stand my ground. Um, because again, I study, right? And I, and the older I've gotten, I've learned to really make informed decisions and statements based on things that I really know to be true and they're not just emotional. So I just learned during the pandemic that there were some, some folks that thought like, oh, I'm going to come for Douglas and he's just going to sit there and that's just not the case. Mm. Yeah, no, no, no. I also read somewhere that you said, well, and you said it earlier today, um, I always rewrite every rehearsal, every preview. Yeah, so the work is never done. We're always discovering. And I think the most important person in the room is the audience. Like on Thursday, I will be in the back of the house with my phone or a pen pad and like listening. Because you write a thing to reach and to affect an audience, not to affect yourself, because you can't buy all the tickets every night to make the show go on. So... If a moment that I'm desperately in love with is not landing, it is my job to find out a way to keep it and make sure it lands and or try something new. Yeah. And writing theater, writing television, writing in general is the exercise. It's an exercise of trying to figure out how do I grip, grab, move and heal this audience and mm-hmm. question them and stir them. And that is that's something I'm very in tune with. So if I need to keep rewriting I will do that until it lands the way I want. During rehearsal, we found a scene that had been there for three years. 
has a new ending, has an uplifting emotional release that had never been in the play. But this rehearsal period like punctured that out in a very beautiful way. And uh, I'm excited for people to see it. I, I There may be tears and screams. There may be silence. I don't know how it's going to land. But that's the exciting thing of why we do what we do. It strikes me, too, that um, it's not about uh, perfection. It's about possibility. It's about growth. It will never be perfect because perfect to one is not perfect to the other. There's no idea of uh, of perfect because the world is an opinion. Yes. So I just have to make sure my intentions are perfect, that what I wanted to say and the way I wanted to say it was perfect in my voice. Whether you like it or not, that's on you. But there is a perfection in making sure I'm articulating what I want to get across. Yes. In that moment. Yes. Because 10 years from now, you might look back and rewrite or... Our changes, our changes. And it should because the world changes. And if, as Nina Simone says, you know, the job of an artist is to reflect the times, you got to listen to where we are. Like I have a new play, Invisible, that I'm developing, and it speaks to the microaggressions of white people towards black and brown bodies. It's not accusatory. Mm. It's just fact. It's just going, hey, when you do this thing, it makes us feel this way. You're not a horrible person, but you should be aware that when you do this thing, maybe you just want to think about it. Have a good day. Go have some ice cream. That's the play. Well, yeah, and it exists, right? I mean, you're talking about, you know, being real, right? And and saying yeah. something that actually is real. So, and I love that you said, you know, it's not accusatory. It's not, you know, you're not standing on your on your soapbox. You're just speaking your truth. Yeah. And that's where healing happens. Indeed. Indeed. Amen. Yeah. No, that's that's brilliant. I love that. Um, can you share with us where you were on March? I, I always say March 12th, because that's when Broadway went dark. But but you know, when the pandemic really shut us down. So I was auditioning a production of this new musical called The Moon and the Sea with my buddy Creighton Irons and Josh Rhodes, the director. And we were having final callbacks. Mm. And we were hearing murmurs of this, you know, coronavirus thing. And some people would come in the room with masks on and I didn't have one. I was like, what is going on? I, you know, I sort of stay away from the news. Um, but there were text messages going out that Broadway might shut down. I was like, what Broadway won't do with the amount of money that needs to be made is shut down for anything. Yep. And it did. Six, the musical was opening that night, canceled opening. And we made it through the auditions. And the executive director, Taryn Sacramento at the Queens Theater, because Chicken and Biscuits, the world premiere was running. We were supposed to have a performance that night. And she was like, I really just don't think, you know, out of the safety of health that we should mm. have the show. And I was sad, but I also realized everything was shutting down, you know, and the show had opened. And so I was just grateful that I got to see opening. But everyone's like, we'll be back in two weeks. Okay. We weren't. Um, and that night, I think that Friday, I went out dancing or something and my buddy was like you should not be out this thing is really serious and i was like oh, okay okay and then by the weekend i was like <laughs> this thing is really serious yeah. it's crazy isn't it because on the one hand a lot of the people that i spoke with early on early days were like actually you know what this is a this is a blessing i really needed a break so many people said that to me yeah i i think i needed 
a break from my mind. Mm -hmm. I think I needed a breaking open of a reality that I was not really privy to doing eight shows a week and being so busy running around the city that I was not paying attention to the world, paying attention to climate change, paying attention to racism, paying attention to my industry, right? Like, I would go back to where we were to bring back the 600,000 people plus that have died from this thing. But I also feel like our world and our country needed a moment to stop, think, and reevaluate ourselves. And if anyone has left this pandemic the same that they were before, I don't think they got the lesson. Yeah. What do you think was your, I mean, it sounds like, I mean, it kind of comes through without even this question, but is there anything else you'd like to add about like greatest um, personal discoveries, things that you learned about yourself through that, through your waking up? Um, my experience as a black man is not shared by all black people. And there will be disagreements within my community based on where people were raised. I'm from New Haven, Connecticut. I was not raised in what is still very much a, uh, attention filled racial pot that parts of the South are. And so my tolerance and understanding of race relations is different than someone who grew up in Georgia or Alabama and was called names at five years old you know, that I wasn't, yeah. right? And making space for that understanding and having dialogue about the differences, even internally within the Black community. And that being okay, and those being difficult conversations. Um, but understanding that we are not monolithic and we are allowed to disagree, but also, can we heal? That's always my question. Can we heal? And how do we do that? Yeah. And, and if I hear you even deep, if I'm hearing even deeper, it's not even can we heal, but we can heal. And how do we do that? Yes. Yes. How do we do that? If we want to. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I really, I hear you. I hear that there's a belief that we can, and there's no, there's no sort of end game on that. It's a process, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I think I always try to encourage that healing in my work. Mm. I write the world that I want to see mm. and I get the resources of my experience and my blackness and my queerness. And I put it and I pour it into the stories, hoping to leave a legacy that will inspire so many behind me. Mm, I love that. I love that. What do you, um, what do you know will be true about you no matter what happens? I will always believe. Mm. I will always believe. I'm a believer. Um, when I first started writing Chicken and Biscuits, one of my very close friends said to me, haven't we seen this before? And I like to remind him of that as we prepare to go to Broadway. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will believe. I will believe when I'm told that it's impossible. I will believe when people don't. I will continue hope. I will try to show up for people. And yeah, I'll try to keep going. That I, I probably will not throw in the towel. It's very hard for me to do that. Yeah. I can see that. No, I can absolutely see that. What what um well, two things. It's interesting what you just said because um, when he said, when your friend said, I haven't, I seen that before. What was your, what was your gut reaction to that? It was hurtful. But when we talk about the monolith that is not blackness, you may have seen the image before, but not the recipe. And so I have learned that I have my own voice. You may take eight characters and give them to the same five playwrights. But you're going to get five different stories. 
with the same characters, right? So you may have seen it before, but you have not felt it in this way necessarily. And I, it was a good, it was a good lesson because comparison is real, you know, especially when it comes to black images and media, we like to compartmentalize and, and compare and, 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 and belittle newness. And even in the title, Chicken and Biscuits, people have been like, oh, it's a stereotype. And I'm like, no, it's your stereotype. Because for us, it's heritage, it's tradition, it's stories and recipes passed down through conversation never written down, it's laughter, it's hugs, it's kisses, it's late nights, it's communion. It's something that in the Black community actually is a beautiful thing. Your imagery of what you think it to be is on you. And so it's actually reclaiming the fear around it and owning it as a beautiful thing. Mm. Mm. I love that. And two things come up for me is that one is when someone says, um, I feel like I've seen that before or heard that before in a way, that's a good thing. Cause you're like, so you feel connected. Yeah. Something, you know, what resonated with you, you know, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I'll see it again. Yeah. You know, come check it out and see how, yeah, see how you fit into the story. And, and also like, he's, you know, as you well know, for, as an actor, that no, no two actors play the role the same way, or, nor do they play the same role each night the same way. Yeah. 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 And there's just so much to be evolved. I think in this art form, I've done a lot of panels recently with Lynn Nottage and Antoinette um, from Passover and talking about what stories are on the Broadway stage and what audiences are being brought in, you know, you maybe have seen it before, but not in this space. Mm -hmm. You have not seen a Gen Z multi-colored, you know, haired, know-it-all, intelligent black girl on a Broadway stage mm. recently in yeah. her fullness. You haven't seen that. You may have seen it in TV and film, but not on Broadway. Mm -hmm. And that's exciting to me, the opportunity to break open this space and say, our stories belong. Our ratchet auntie who brings Hennessy to the funeral belongs on your Broadway stage because she has a heartbeat and a story to tell. And you yep. should come see it. Yep. And it may relate and make you laugh and make you call your aunt after who you should have called three months ago. Hell yeah. And, it, you know, it, we all have family. We all have relationships. Doesn't matter the color yeah. of our skin. We've yeah. all got stories. We've all got tradition. We've all got, you know, to me, it just sounds like an opportunity to share and commune and learn and laugh and, you know, kind of look at ourselves. I mean, I'm sure. I mean, I can feel it. I know. I mean, I haven't seen it. I don't. But I know that, you know, as an audience member, I would be feeling like, yeah, I want to call my I want to get together with my family. I want to have a yeah. fight. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I want to laugh. Yeah. 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 I have yeah. A, a good friend um, and her husband. I call him my brother-in-law. Because when I get around him, I know we're going to disagree about something and that we'll be around for 20 minutes and then it'll come up, whatever. It, and it's something new every time. And then we'll go. Back. I'm like, oh, this is why I came over. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's, so, there's something fun about that. Yeah. It's comforting so. in a way because you know it's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And you got enough in the bank to know that it's not going to ruin anything, you know? Yeah. It's 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 how do we I guess my lesson from COVID, too, is how do we disagree and move forward? Mm. How do we end a relationship and move forward? How do we come back and say, you really hurt me when you did this thing, but I missed you. Mm -hmm. Like what is lost in the pain and in the divide of everything? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
What would you say? What's your definition of living in the moment? Gratitude always. Mm. And if we are living in that space, like being on this podcast right now, having time with you who I've never met in person, but like this is something to be grateful for. If you are grateful for every living breath, if it goes, if you go before you were meant to, gratitude was one of your last things. And so I, I just try to stay in that space and it keeps me humble and it keeps me fed emotionally, spiritually, and mentally because I try not to get too excited or you know, beefed up with all the things and all the pizzazz is I'm not, that's not why I'm here. I'm here for the work. I'm here to love and, and it feels good. And then I don't have to worry because I'm not worried about what people think. I'm just worried about those that love me and the stories I'm trying to tell and what I'm trying to accomplish on this earth. Yeah. That's so beautiful. You shared with me earlier that there are over 25 Broadway debuts in this play. There are. It's so exciting. It's so exciting. So Jalen Levingston is the director. He's the youngest African-American director in Broadway history. He's 27 years old. And he brought along with him uh, lighting, hair, sound, and set are all debuts. Um, A lot of associates are debuts. There are nine out of 13 in the cast that are debuts. It's my debut. It's Jalen's debut. And there's an energy of electricity behind the production because you have young black designers who have been told, oh, there just aren't that many out there showing up with beautiful work and blowing it away, blowing us all away. And so there's no excuse now as we go forward to say, oh, they're just not out there. Oh, they are because Chicken and Biscuits was completely a black design team. So, you know what I mean? That yeah. that is is revolutionary, legendary and just darn exciting. I'm just I'm excited to be a vessel that this story could break open a historic moment on Broadway. It's huge. It's so huge. And the careers, I know from my acting perspective, knowing that when people discover these actresses center stage that they have not witnessed, they're going to want to work with them. And that will become their next TV job and their second Broadway show. That, that's the beauty. That's exciting to me. Oh, my God. It's, it's like living legacy. Like, well, it's just, it's just happening. Like you're creating legacy. Like it, it's so cool. It's not yeah, like you've died and this happened. It's like you are putting it on the stage at, you know, what are you, 34 years old? Yeah. Um, you know, you're putting it on the stage. You, you're providing all these opportunities. Man, when I picked that, when I just said that, oh, you wrote there are over 25 Broadway debuts in the play, your face lit up. I mean, it was unbelievable, the joy coming out of you. Yeah, I, I remember getting my Broadway debut, my final callback for the Book of Mormon. Um, it was such a drawn out process, but it was between me and two other guys. And combined, they had seven Broadway credits. I had zero. And I had done the Dream Girls tour. And when I got out of the final callback, I had a voicemail from my music director at Dream Girls. He said, Stephen Remus called me as a reference to see how you were to work with. And I gave you a glowing review. It took 48 hours. But when I got that call, I was like, wow. And I remember that elation. And I want to give that elation to so many deserving artists. 
August Wilson did it for Viola Davis and Denzel Washington with his work. And he's getting his flowers now, but he's gone. And there are many ancestors who were talented writers who were not able to be seen or allowed in the space because of their race alone. I was watching some recap from the Emmys and Debbie Allen was honored with the Governor's Award. And I think it was the Houston Ballet. She was like a prodigy when she was 12 or something like that. And they didn't let her in the first time because of the color of her skin. Debbie Allen. Yeah. Yep. So it is my responsibility, and I take it very seriously, that as a 34-year-old Black man, if I am able to get in this space, I got to tear it down. I have to stamp it out. I have to make it a moment because a moment will then become a standard and a standard will then become every day. Yeah. And that's what we aim to do. Well, and what stands out with you is you're doing it through from a beautiful place. You're not doing it from a confrontational place. No. At all. Like to me, to me as a white, you know, white person, it's, it's joyous. I mean, it's like, no, this is, this is the time. This is what I can do. This is, and, and I think what's amazing too about this particular cast and this particular show is that it happened really quickly. If I understand in terms of it suddenly being on Broadway, like you're going like the family really came together and we found what I like to call unicorns in casting mm -hmm. people who bring their own sauce to the yeah. text and it makes it better. And it's different. It's maybe different than what I intended, but it's special and it lands. And that's what you want. Yeah. Yeah. No, 100%. Real quick, what I like to do is I just say what makes you and I say a word and you say what comes to mind. It doesn't Great. need to be rapid fire. It can be, but it doesn't need to be. Great. Uh, so what makes you hungry? <laughs> I have an answer that I can't say. <laughs> I can't say that answer. Um, uh, I'll say greenery. Okay. Did you get it? <laughs> I I think, but I'm not okay, sure. Good. You want to enlighten me? No. Nope. I, we'll leave that one to the ether. Enjoy. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> oh, this is fun. Oh, this is the best. <laughs> I, I'd love to be in your head what you were really thinking. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, what makes you what makes you sad? Uh, homelessness. People who are struggling because they are not loved. They have good hearts and good intentions, but they live in a very sour spirit because they're not loved. Mm. It makes me sad. Yeah. What, uh, what inspires you? Like Debbie Allen's speech. I love watching award winning speeches because the work it took to get to that moment and all the people that surround that person are spoken in that moment. And that's really, you know, Debbie Allen in her speech, she said, um, you know, I grew up doing X, Y, and Z. And she ended the speech with, and now it's your turn. Mm -hmm. That inspires me because I feel like, oh, yeah, I was eating. I was like, oh, yeah, Debbie. Oh, yeah. It's my turn. Let's go chicken and biscuits. Like, let's leave a legacy. You know, that that was really exciting for me. Mm -hmm. The ancestors inspire me. Mm -hmm. I have 
um, James Baldwin, Toni Morrison, and Cicely Tyson on my writing wall. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, what frustrates you? Racism. It's so stupid. It's just, it's a concept that has ruined the fabric of what this world could be. It's so stupid. And it's ruined so much of our humanity. It's fresh. It makes the hate of it makes no sense to me. Agreed. Agreed. Um, what makes you laugh? Senseless videos of joy and family. I'm, I think family is a component that I will always go to in my work. There's something about the layers and the ugliness and the messiness and the healing of family that I'm mm. just drawn to. Yeah. No, I love that. Um, what makes you angry? Inconsiderate New Yorkers. The ones that stand in front of the entrance of the subway car and don't move when you're trying to get in. Mm -hmm. Or that step in before you get out. I scream. I scream at them. <laughs> what do you say? Move. <laughs> Can I get out? Move. Let me off this train. What is wrong with you people? And uh, finally, um, what makes you grateful? Life, this moment, the opportunity to be an artist full time is such a gift. There's so many people that want to do this thing and cannot because resources or access or time or family or whatever. And so to call myself an artist 365 days a year is a gift. That is a blessing. And I do not take it for granted. What are the uh, what are the top three things that have happened so far today? I had an interview panel with Antoinette and Lynn um, for a CAA Columbia talk. Um, I'm speaking with you, and my roommate had a final callback for a Broadway show, and so I'm I'm crossing. I said a prayer for him, and I'm crossing my fingers that it happens because he's worked so hard. Mm, beautiful. What's something that you're most looking forward to? A vacation. <laughs> I'm not good at vacations. I will work through my vacation because I do writing, you know, by myself anyway. So, but I, I need, when we open, I need to go away the next day. Mm. My mentor, Charles Randolph Wright, um, had booked a flight, I think either the opening night or the following morning of... Motown just he didn't read the reviews he just escaped and I feel like that's the healthy thing I need to do mm. but the actor in me I don't know if I'm be able to do that <laughs> but I have a plan to put my phone away and like if they're not great reviews I'm just like don't talk to me until tomorrow yeah, <sighs> yeah. oh I know I know fair enough oh my gosh um Douglas it's been really an absolute pleasure speaking with you today and getting to to know you a little bit really thanks so much for spending the time Thank you for having me. Oh, my God. It's my pleasure. I've been speaking today with Douglas Lyons. I am Lisa Hopkins. Stay safe and healthy, everyone. And remember to live in the moment. And while you're at it, be part of history and go see Chicken and Biscuits. On Broadway. On Broadway. Congratulations, man. I'm so excited for you. Thank you so much. Yes. Mared and... Uh, it's going to be amazing and love to the to the cast and and crew and everybody. I'm I'm I think I think it could be something. I don't but we'll see. 
We'll see. Oh, it'll be something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it'll be so either way it'll be something. Exactly. Enjoy the ride. In music, stop time is that beautiful moment where the band is suspended in rhythmic unison, supporting the soloist to express their individuality. In the moment, I encourage you to take that time and create your own rhythm. Until next time, I'm Lisa Hopkins. Thanks for listening.